Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea, and this is the 300th episode of our show. Woohoo! And it's just me and Alex in the studio. <laughs> and we didn't even think to give Alex a mic, so it's just me. <laughs> so, but sir. I didn't, I didn't think to give myself. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. So. But just, oh my goodness, back, turn back the clock to a July day in 2011, and when Dim and I were like, are not sure what a podcast is, but here we are, it used to be, we used to be bi-weekly, every other week, and you all were asking us to record more frequently, that's the word I'm looking for, and I was just like, oh my gosh, there's no way we could do the show weekly, what would we talk about? And now I'm like, oh my gosh, there aren't enough shows, there, I, I got, I have more topics than we have weeks in the year. So, um, I know some of you have asked us to do it daily. That's not going to happen. Uh, but, but I am delighted to be here at episode 300. And there were so many great snippets to choose from, uh, cause it's going to be a best of show from the last hundred episodes. There were so many to choose from, uh, with your help in helping me choose that there's going to be two episodes. So this one is, um, best of part one. And the next one is wait for it. Best of part two. Uh, so I just cracked myself up. So let's dive into this. And, you know, I got to say the, when I thought back on the last hundred episodes, the one episode that jumped out most of my mind was one that maybe kind of unexpected. And it was episode number 238. It was a podcast with Green Chef talking food and cooking. And this clip from it, the reason I chose it is because Molly just cracks me up. Her and the guests were like on some other planet, just riffing on each other, making each other laugh, still talking about the topic. And so I thought, I was like, oh my gosh, I must be the only one who thinks that. But no, Lindsay, who's a listener, she says, my absolute favorite episode from the past 100 was 238 when Sarah and Molly talked with the Green Chef. I've listened to it several times and shared it with friends. I love the tips and especially how Molly and the guests bond over quinoa, bitters, and homage to turmeric as a band name. So here you go. Um, so turmeric is amazing. Turmeric is a root and you can buy it fresh at a lot of ethnic oh. markets, which is very, very yeah. cool because it, it looks like kind of a tinier version of ginger, ginger. root. They have, have it at, they have it at Whole Foods here at some of our smaller right. Whole Foods. You don't even need to go to the yeah. big mega Whole Foods. Exactly. And so it's really cool. You can buy it like that and you can actually grate it fresh. Mm -hmm. And just when you think about, you know, coffee or black pepper, as always, it's always better if you can grate it fresh. So if you have access to that, I definitely recommend buying the turmeric fresh. If not, although can I can I interject? It It does. Mm -hmm. uh, Don't be wearing your nice um, off white ivory sweater when you are grating that um, because it does. It stains like. Um, your kids markers that get left out with the caps off. Um, so, I mean, my, my, cause you I have to peel it before you grate it. Does it have a mm-hmm. skin on it? It's like a ginger. Uh-huh. It does. Yep. Yeah, it's like ginger. I mean, it is technically edible if it, it just tends to be a little bit fibrous, so you can definitely peel it, but the roots tend to be so small that to be perfectly honest with you, I usually don't, oh, but yeah, turmeric and pomegranates do not wear your wedding dress while preparing those. <laughs> just a helpful cooking tip. Exactly. Just a helpful tip. Yeah. And I mean, my, uh, so I'm, I put fresh turmeric in a, um, it came in one of the purple carrot meals and, my, it was delicious. Oh my gosh, it was so delicious. But I got to say that my fingers and fingernails were mm-hmm. ye- dark yellow. I, I thought it was kind of hip. Yeah. I looked a little bit like it was like the next step past henna. You know, I'm like, right. oh yeah, yeah, I did. I did turmeric on my fingers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> 
Well, it just it just shows people that you're cooking with hip ingredients, and right. that's that's what's most right, important. Right. So you use it like pepper. So with turmeric, um, lots of different ways to use it. One caveat that I like to tell Americans, because we're not raised on a diet of bitter flavors like mm. the rest of the world is, we are born and raised just on sweet, sweet, sweet here mm. from day one. From rice porridge to our pumpkin spice lattes, we like sweet. And in a lot of the rest of the world, they're really more attuned. You think about like radicchio or arugula in Italy. You think about some of the Indian curry. Obviously, turmeric is kind of your primary spice that's getting giving traditional curry powder, that yellow tinge mm. to it, just like mm. your fingers. Mm-hmm. And so when you grate it, um, sometimes people who are maybe not hugely familiar with it, they might be a little bit taken aback by what they perceive as overwhelming bitterness. And oh. I would just like to say that bitterness generally reflects positive medicinal qualities in most oh. foods. So I'll just That's throw that intriguing. out. But roasted like roasted vegetables, um, it is great with leafy greens. So if, for example, you're going to saute a bunch of kale or chard or any kind of spinach or anything, grate some turmeric in there along with salt and pepper, maybe a little bit of cayenne. Um, you can always put it into smoothies if you do a lot of you know, the green smoothies and that sort of thing. You can always grind it up in there. It is great in eggs. So if you're doing a scramble or if you're doing a frittata or anything like that, and then like you mentioned, you know, just steeping it in hot water with some lemon or honey or putting it into hot milk, again, with some honey and making it full fat milk, obviously, if I haven't been clear enough on that. <laughs> and you are kind of making yourself like a turmeric latte sort of thing. Would and you grate it for tons that for the latte or would you put it in just a bit of a root? It really kind of depends on your preference. For me personally, I don't mind if my drinks have a little texture, um, but I understand that some people might not like that. So I would chop or grate it, and then you could always strain the drink before you were going to drink it if you're not a huge fan of, well, texture in your drink. So that would be just personal preference, but I just simmer it in there or just grate it. Something like a microplane, which is a great kitchen tool for Parmesan and nutmeg and chocolate and ginger and turmeric. Perfect for just really Oh, my God. Stop it, stop it, stop it. I don't know if you heard what Molly said. She said knuckles. And I've been debating whether whether or not to get a microplane for Christmas. Um, And we, Jack and I just talked, my husband and I just talked about recently. And I'm like, but I'm so scared I'm going to cut off a finger. And I thought, oh, I should ask Elizabeth her thoughts about a microplane. I'm like, I I can't go there. (laughs) I get a microplane. Don't get a mandolin, for goodness sake. A mandolin. That's, that's, that is a finger offing in the making. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Okay, so there's a difference. Well, but those microplanes are still super, super sharp. But do you, do you, you're just careful, Elizabeth, or do you wear a glove or... Um, I just like to live dangerously. Yeah. I don't even look while I'm doing it. <laughs> that Lauren goes wilder. Like she just head. went right for that microblade. She's a chef. She's used yeah. to having all the, the nicks and stuff, right? You've got all the cut marks. Um, to be honest, I think the microplane, um, I, this is, I'm literally not trying to be funny. Keep your fingers out of the way. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. That's my tip to you. Well, you just don't want too um, small of a piece. If you're getting too small of a piece, stop. Don't go for the last little bit, right? Yeah. 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 Back exactly. away. Um, I'm <laughs> Put down the nubbin of ginger root and walk away. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm not. No, I've already, I take my fingers off with kitchen knives, I, and I'm very careful with the microplane, and I'm not going anywhere near a mandolin. Uh-uh. Molly met up with me one morning. I, I've uh, taken like the tip of my finger off several she, times and I just like tape it back on. She did. And she shows up to meet me for a run with her fingertip taped back on. 
she was and she bled through the thing because of course when she started running it you know made her heart pump faster and so we had to stop at this total random stranger's house and i got a bunch of electrical tape and taped it back on uh oh got talking to the microphone but speaking of uh bitters one last thing elizabeth because i like bitters i bet you like bitters right very much so yeah black black coffee uh ipas Right. Yep. I thought you meant bitters like the what darkest, you put in a, a cocktail. The darkest chocolate that darkest I can get, Reggio, all of those flavors. Arugula. You know what they say about people who like bitters? Because I do too. Hot, we're sociopaths. <laughs> so there we go. That is totally un- unsurprising. <laughs> I, I, you know, I wasn't surprised either, <laughs> actually. <laughs> like, oh, okay. If anybody recoils in horror at that, then they clearly are not a true bitter lover. So... And there is an amazing cookbook, Molly, if you like bitters, uh-huh. get the cookbook entitled Bitter. It is an ode to people like us. The Sociopath's Guide to Gastronomical <laughs> Delights. Uh. That's, that's the subtitle uh-huh. of the book, actually. Weirdly. Yeah. So now we've come right. up with a subtitle for a book, uh-huh. a name for a band. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And this conversation has completely gone off the rails, and it is such fun. Tattoo- tattoos. <laughs> yeah. We're going for tattoos. Heroin now. addiction. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Tattoos. Oh my so God. I'm going to I'm going to go to the grocery store today because this and I I'm busy. You know, I got too much going on. Uh, so I do one shop and I know that's not good, but I'm doing my one shop and I'm going to go buy some turmeric and I'm going to do a tea and I'm going to add some whole milk to it. Yeah. Yum. Yum. Yep. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. And a little bit of honey mm. or any kind of sweetener. Maple syrup is great, too. And it's just I think it's you know, sometimes you do kind of want that warm drink, but you're not exactly in the mood for something that's a coffee or a tea. And to me, this is perfect. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That oh sounds great. It has been such fun talking with you, yeah, Elizabeth. Yeah, it's been great, Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, I don't, I'm not sure when you and Molly are going to, you know, meet up, whether she's going to come there or you're <laughs> going to come visit us in Portland Check and eat deviled eggs. And- yeah. Right. <laughs> That's when we that's when we start our food truck entitled Homage to Turmeric and everything we serve is turmeric based on our Portland food truck. I love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. This is a blast. It has been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. Over the last hundred episodes, we've had some high-profile guests, and this is one of them. And it is uh, episode 281, a conversation with pregnant pro runner Alicia Montano, who has since had the baby. And as a side note, I have to say that um, she's going to be a guest again on the podcast uh, on that we're recording March 15th at the Goo Energy Labs headquarters in Berkeley, California. Dimity, Molly, and I are going to be there. And Alicia is going to join us after she puts her baby son down to bed. So um, so she'll maybe have the scent of breast milk on her when she, she's our guest. Um, so, But this was when she was still pregnant. And uh, this clip talks about how she started wearing a flower in her hair after telling a story of wearing a Wonder Woman tee in a race. I basically told them, I was like, guys, don't worry about it. I'm going to play free safety. I always played free safety on defense, which is the last defense person uh-huh. before the opposite team can score a touchdown. Okay. And so they're like, yeah, Lacey, you go free safety. They'd call me Icebox from this movie called Little Giants, which was a girl. <laughs> if you've seen the movie, it was a little, there was a girl that was like the same sort of like, oh, I'm going to rip you apart. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, they're like, okay, Icebox, get in the back. And I'd get back and I was feeling myself. And I was wearing actually a pink, um, I was wearing a pink soccer shirt, you know, from like when I was five years old, but it was like fit kind of cool now that I was like 11. 
And um, and then I I was I didn't have flour in my hair at this time, and this kid that was being the worst about me playing with him passes all of our our defense guys and starts sprinting towards the touchdown. And I literally I'm not kidding. You know these they say these in books and in movies. Like I saw red. Like I was. <laughs> Like I just go sprinting over him with all of my might and I die from maybe like, I don't know, I want to say like a foot out and just give him every single bit of my upper body and my shoulder and just tackle him to the ground. We go sliding and there's a daisy on the, in the grass and I pick it up and I go, and I'm a girl. And I, <laughs> oh, that's a great story. Like, you know, I give him it. every single bit of just a sassy little, like fierce 11 year old. And I feel that way to this day. Like, why not? You know? And, and so ever since then, I always wear a flower in my hair whenever I played sports or, anything like that. And then of course, like running, it was the jump off point for all of that. So it stayed 11 years, 11 years old. And now I'm 31 and I'm still rocking the flower. You are. Nice icebox. Nice. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I think the other part, when we think about strength, I think people think that you have to like embody a man when you think about strengths, and I just thought it was so important that I can be in the form that I am. I'm a, I'm a woman and we are strong and I can be fully embody that. I can also like nail polish. I can also mm-hmm. like lipstick exactly. and I can right. be strong. You know, yeah. I can also like dresses. I can also like pink. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can love flowers. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So has becoming a mother changed the way you train? And if so, how? Um, I think in many ways, yes. Um, Obviously, I'm a, before I had my daughter, a single woman. I mean, I'm married, but, you know, still a single woman. <laughs> do whatever I need to do, whatever I need to do, and I'll see you when I get home. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love Alicia for so many reasons. I, I, I know, I know. This is, <laughs> we're all jotting down quotes here. <laughs> but, um. But of course, in motherhood, you've got to really, like, you have to agree on this person and how you're doing your schedule and your time. And um, so in terms of training in that way, absolutely. First of all, postpartum, I decided I was going to nurse for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's part of my personality. Like, I, the, my pediatrician recommended, if I could, to nurse for a year. And so I'm that type of person. I'm like, you know, maybe middle ground perfectionist probably top of the end <laughs> where I was like, okay, well now that's on the goal list. It's per- nurse for a year. So I made a schedule of how I was going to be able to do that and train. And, um, for that, that was so crazy. I basically, you know, everybody doesn't do the schedule life with, mm-hmm. with kids. And I totally get it. It works for whatever, however your family needs it. But we, we did read a book 12 hours by 12 weeks. And that was like, our first focus was getting her to sleep because that's important. Like mm-hmm. her sleep is important, but also our sleep is important yep. uh, for so many reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we started where it'd be like, okay, you know, kind of try to figure out, uh, help them figure out what day and night is. And so my first, the beginning of, you know, postpartum journey was really helping, of course, my daughter um, understand she is now on the outside. (laughs) Here we are. Um, And then it was about getting she and I in sync as closely Mm -hmm. as possible so that I can now operate as like a person in the world (laughs) as well. Um, And so we got on this schedule where I would 
I, of course, I, it was about two weeks. The next day after my daughter was born, she was back up to her birth weight. So that was also helpful. Wow. So she was helping me out. Nice. <laughs> um, and then at, uh, it was a week postpartum. They, the, the, our pediatrician gave us the thumbs up to let her just sleep as long as she wanted to sleep at night. And so that was about, she gave us five hours that first time. Um, wow. And I was like, ah, that was great. Which That's five hours one is week to me. After, is, wow. Oh, when she was a week old, she gave you five hours? She gave me five hours at a week old. Yeah. Wow. But again, I have to reiterate, she was back up to her birth weight pretty quick. Right. And she latched well. She ate well. Um, and then, so, and then about two weeks, um, uh, she, she did the thing that most newborns do apparently where they start waking up again, like every hour. So just have to rewind and tell you that. I was going to say, you got to get hate yeah. mail. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. This next one I chose because it has coach MK in it and it is from episode 272 prehab, the secret of avoiding running injuries. And many of you, when I asked for um, your favorite clips, they were like, you got to include Coach MK. And I'm like, I sure do. So here is MK giving advice about having one body. That uh, you don't, you know, feel like we don't get answers. So we stop asking questions. That is some really, that is exactly what happens so often on so many different things. My goodness. I mean, Molly was just saying that this morning when we were running. Well, you got to just keep asking the question. You got to ask another person and another person and you got to try different things. Mm-hmm. You just can't mm-hmm. be satisfied that there's no answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's one so, of the reasons right, so I we'll... encourage my runners to go directly to a physical therapist instead of the doctor. The doctor, mm-hmm. I mean, philosophically, their job is to solve problems and fix things that are broken. They are not there necessarily to, to diagnose soft tissue injuries and troubleshoot on a day-to-day basis. That's what PTs do. So taking that step, that's you're probably right. That's probably exactly what your doctor is going to say. Most states have eliminated, not all, but most, have eliminated the requirement to get a prescription for PT from a doctor. So you can circumvent the process and just go directly to the PT. Even if your state demands it, more often than not, they have a workaround. If you just call and try to get an appointment, they'll work it out for you. So it's worth it. And you might not, you might hear a no, but why wouldn't you ask? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. So, so speaking of questions, we um, let's dive into some of those that we called from Facebook, um, like this good one from Kelly, and she's curious how to tell the difference between normal training fatigue when you should stick to the training plan and just quote train tired, versus being on the brink of injury or overtraining. So that taking an extra rest day or maybe you know converting a hard run to a recovery run is the smart move. You know, how do you tell that difference? Your attitude. If you wake up in the morning and you just don't want to do that workout, if you're no longer excited about that workout, because especially in the heart rate training, I make everyone run considerably more slowly than they want to go. And they're only given, even the harder plans are given only a couple of hard or high level intense difficult runs each week. So that should be candy. If you don't want that candy, you're probably not feeling well. And the best, Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the first way to kind of figure that out is to take the day off taken truly easy effort run, take a couple of those and see how you feel. If your attitude is better and you're starting to miss those harder workouts, um, then we're, 
you probably got what you needed and keep moving forward. If this continues to happen, you're, you could be overtraining and it's time to talk to your coach. So that's really what it comes down to. If you're mad at the world, if you're tired, if you don't want to do that workout, if you find yourself short with your kids and short with your husband, even even when they deserve it, when your ability to adult <laughs> is kind of hampered in some way. Because um, most of us can suck it up when we need to. We, the, my, Mother Runner's got grit like nothing I've ever seen. And when your grit is mm -hmm. at an end and a run doesn't make it better, then that's the time to take um, to take a break. Because um, one other thing I want to say about that, and I promise I'll wrap this mm -hmm. um, my my. my I know my answers are long. I'm going to try to wrap this one up. I feel passionately about runner safety. I feel like most of the things I see women do to protect themselves don't actually keep them safe. In the same vein, when it comes to resting and relaxing, most of the things I see mother runners do don't necessarily chill them out or relax mm -hmm. them in any way. Yep. Because again, it's back yep. to that. You've got so much to do. You know what relaxes me? What makes me feel good is ticking items off my to-do list. And I'm like, okay, that, yeah. but that's an accomplishment. Yeah. That's feeling good. That's not relaxing. Oh, I feel relaxed when I feel good. Like, no, no. And it's a back and forth that I've had so often. I'm starting in the Train Like a Mother Club on our monthly, um, the monthly heart rate training plans, um, really promoting the idea of self-care Sunday. And this is the short list of what you're allowed to do. And we're going to talk about what you did to totally unplug and relax. And watching trashy mm -hmm. reality TV, I would completely argue that that is unplugging and relaxing much more so than taking an hour to run around town and knock things off your to-do list. So here is one from 273, how to get out of a training slump. And in this, Molly introduces the notion of the pleasure of discomfort. And it's a concept and thought that has I've reflected back on it since then. And um, I don't know, it's just a, a kind of concept that really resonates with me. All right, Amanda, take it over. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, so let's give her I mean, a few other tips, too. Um, you know, if you, if you do want to keep getting out the door, um, you know... It, Again, remind yourself this is natural that you are going to be feeling this. But, um, you know, think about, um, you know, th ways to shake things up. So, um, you know, varying your routes, um, maybe hitting a trail for something different, um, you know, maybe looking for someone, a running partner that you might be able to meet up with. Um, or if you normally run with people, run by yourself. Um, just any kind of variety you can throw into the mix um, is, is definitely um, helpful and can make it a little more enjoyable. Um, if you're a competitive person, you know, this, this works for some people, but maybe not others. But if you are a competitive person, think about the fact that, you know, hey, my competition's out there training <laughs> and, I'm, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not. You know, so, you know, if that helps motivate you, you know, by all means, use it. Um, you know, think about how how much you want a particular time and that if you're not going to put in the training, you're not going to get that time and, and try to visualize how that might feel at the end of training or at the end of race day. So, um, yeah, there, there are a lot of different ways to approach it. Um, just just try to, you know, shake things up a little bit there as much as you mm -hmm. can. Yeah, well, uh, on our Facebook page, um, I really like this fun solution that came from Michaela and she said, I'm training for a half and had my first double digit run. Congratulations, Michaela. I took pictures along the way and showed what a 10 mile run looks like in my new town. Pics of kids, schools, city hall, funny mailbox, horses, and of course, hills. So I thought that was kind of fun to make it like, oh, I'm a tourist in this new town I've moved to. Or if you go on a mm -hmm. new route or something like that. I mean, you and I sometimes, Molly, will try to go to like 
oh, that, that new park that we call yep. the, you know, that finds some, or, oh, we hear there's a new water fountain or like the <laughs> construction project that we want to look at. So, you mm-hmm. know, kind of have a, a agenda, no matter how kind of minor it is. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I'll think about you landscaping. Know, my, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like how people do their flower boxes and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that didn't work. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like for my own flower boxes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my, my friend and I, a couple of weeks ago, we did something we've never done. I mean, we've, we've been running together for all these years. And um, for our long run, it was really early in the morning. We snuck onto a golf course and ran all 18 <laughs> holes of the pathways of the golf course. Oh, and wow. it was really enjoyable because it just it was new terrain, new sites, things we'd never done before. Yeah, a little <laughs> undulation, no cars. Uh-huh. Yeah, and we kind of, we kind of felt, you know, like bandits. So it was, it was kind oh, of yeah. You kind of are, though, right? They don't yeah. like that, do they? I don't think they do, but it was five thirty in the morning, so oh, yeah. yeah, no one said anything to us, and we were we were off the course, you know, before uh-huh. any golfers were hitting. So yeah, uh-huh. oh, that's uh-huh. a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah. fun. <laughs> um, okay, so Hannah, Melissa, and Laura all asked the same great question, but they highlighted in different ways. So um, I'm going to read all three. They're pretty short, but bear with me. So Hannah says, "I always seem to struggle with the difference between feeling run down and overtraining." I tend to get a slump mid-training cycle. I have a hard time knowing when I should take a break or scale back and when I should push through. And then Melissa says, I second this. I think I underestimated how taxing it is to train for a marathon, especially compared to a half marathon. Sometimes I wonder if I just need to work in an extra rest day or if being tired and hungry, all capital letters, is just part of the training. And finally, Laura says, I have a hard time sometimes distinguishing between physical exhaustion and mental fatigue, meaning am I just sleep deprived and feeling the effects of training hard and long, or is it all in my head struggling with balance, work, life, being a mom, needing some prehab for the brain, not just the body? Yeah. So, um, I, I, you know, this is kind of going to go back to what we talked about earlier and, and, you know, being tired, being hungry, feeling harried, um, all those things in the midst of all that you are balancing is very normal and to be expected. Um, I think, you know, if you're, if you are wondering, could I possibly be heading into overtraining versus just normal, you know, fatigue from training? Um, I, I think most programs, um, are going to be written so that you don't overtrain. And if you are following the programs and taking the rest days, not adding on extra mileage, not ramping up your paces beyond what you're supposed to, um, you are probably in the safe zone and not overtraining. Um, you know, and, and one other caveat I would add to that is if you aren't, you know, maybe like on your third marathon in a row, um, mm-hmm. in the past year or something like that too, you know, keep, keep an eye on that because, because that can easily lead to just, you know, general, you know, overtraining. Um, so, you know, th- th- those are, I guess, some guidelines to say, you know, are you, are you just tired and, and experiencing the normal part of training or are you overtraining? So, um, take measure so of those ba- things. So basically they should follow train like a mother club plans, which will prevent them from being overtrained. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I saw, um, on our Facebook page, people were talking whether, I don't remember whether it was in this, um, string of comments or not, but somebody was saying how they had three half marathons and it was like, you know, like one on the tw- September 24th, October 7th, and like, I don't know, October 21st or something. And I just was like, wow, that's a lot of half marathon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that can leave you a little mentally burned out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Here we go. A clip from episode 289, the inaugural winter reading podcast. And uh, it's because Ellison, my good friend Ellison and occasional co-host, her summer reading podcast, I think we've done five of those maybe, is that possible? Um, It was so popular that we um, instituted a winter one. And then, oh my gosh, took it one step bigger, and uh, they she now has her own podcast called The Book Bully. I am so proud to have a spinoff. Um, I feel like the Fonz and hanging out with Laverne and Shirley. Um, or, uh, that's the that's the spinoff show that I always come back to. I think there's more recent ones, right? Yeah, there's a lot more. Yeah, there's a lot. Well, how about no shortage of other examples. <laughs> in the last ten years. Okay, okay. Also, a new episode of the Book Bully. Tuesday. Oh, very good. Okay. All righty. So this is um, Ellison talking about equating, Ellison and me talking about equating not finishing a book to um, DNFing a race. Okay. Oh. If we're going to talk, if we can take a little side, we can <laughs> yeah. get a little tangent over, take the side street over here. Um, you know, but that's an interesting, the book that you're really ticked off that you read or yeah. were affected by. I'm going to throw out and I might get some, some hate tweets for this one. The Bridges of Madison County. Oh, Oh my gosh. I'm still not over the feeling of utter gripe of the, my gosh. And I felt so manipulated by that book because I was sobbing almost hysterically. Like I was crying as hard as it was raining in that book. And I just was so (laughs) mad at being toyed with. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Such drivel in my mind. And I've told you the story about how I heard it. NPR used to do this thing in the mornings mm-hmm. where for I think it was from like nine to nine thirty, they would read. They would have no. somebody that would read no. a book and they read The Bridges of Madison County. No way. And the, the hilarious thing is I was working at Pepsi for the time. And my boss was this very, very nice, but very, very Catholic man. And literally... I, I used to be able to read, I guess it was earlier than that, because I think I used to catch it in my car, and for some reason I came into to work early. And during the sex scene, the pivotal <laughs> sex scene, my poor boss wandered into my office. Oh, no. And, you know, he's a fair-haired, redhead guy anyway. And he's in there like, can, yeah, Ellison, can you... Uh, you know, and <laughs> turns bright red. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and then just pivots and leaves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a couple. There are a couple of books. Um, Our souls at night. Kent oh. Harif, hmm. his last book. Um, oh gosh, um, that book just broke my heart. And somewhere along the same lines as hmm. the Bridges of Madison County. Um, it's Our Souls at Night, and. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. You know, I was just at the end. I was like, no, no. <laughs> so, yeah, we really did take a side street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's turn back, to the, turn back to the main. So let's talk some new books. Yeah. So uh, what new books have you? Uh, I have read one that you, I think, have just started, mm-hmm. which yeah. is The Power. The Power. By mm-hmm. Naomi Alderman. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm I'm hesitant to speak my mind on it mm-hmm. uh because you're only about what 25 oh, i don't know pages. i'd have to even look yeah i got it because i i should have said a disclaimer at the beginning i just have not been reading these days i just yeah. i don't know what it's been but so i yeah. am on page 68 and i feel i got to page 68 very quickly um i do have to say people are comparing the power to the handmaid's tale right which i believe i've said already at least once is one of my all-time favorite novels i read it i've read it i think three times 
and you know, first time was way back almost when it first came out. Margaret Atwood's one of my all time favorite novelists. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And you know, She's... and and you know, this Naomi Alderman was a um, protege of Margaret Atwood. Exactly. And that there's a you know a quote from Margaret Atwood, and Margaret Atwood is enjoying a renaissance of sorts because of uh, The Handmaid's Tale being and on Alias Hulu. Grace on Netflix. Exactly. Which yep. Was fantastic. Oh, oh, wait, I need, that's I'm going to download that for you the must, flight. You must. That's what I did. I watched yeah, three I'm... episodes going out and oh, the, perfect. Uh, remind, perfect. Remainder perfect. coming back because I I read that novel. I've read Alias Grace and. In enjoyed it yeah um very much but um so this one it's a um i feel the tantalizing the there's a parceling out of um that she delivers about two-thirds of what you really need for the scene whether it's in terms of giving you information or really filling you in at least letting me know kind of where i was and what was happening in the scene it's getting a little old. I'm like, you know what? You got to paint. You got to fill in a couple more of those color by number things for me because I'm not seeing what you're trying to paint. And um, I will say this, um, you know, there is sort of a hook, mm-hmm. as, as you know, there's a, there's a hook in this story. And um, my feeling is that she focused so much on the hook Mm-hmm. And didn't focus on the plot and mm-hmm. and kind of fleshing out the story, which goes to what mm-hmm. you just said. Mm-hmm. But uh, the New York Times uh, listed it as one of their top 10 books of the year. Wow. So yeah. I do think that mm-hmm. and, you know, and I've had readers who have just raved about it and other people who have felt more like me. And I'm a little hesitant to, to go any farther than that since you mm-hmm. haven't read it. Mm-hmm. Here's a clip from episode 277, How to Get Back in the Running Groove, another episode that really brought tears to my eyes. And it was, um, just, it did not intend to start out to be this, but it was um, Maggie Palmer, who's now one of two new co-hosts, along with um, Tish Hamilton. Uh, so this was Maggie talking about her family's experience in Hurricane Irma when uh, they had moved to San Martin just three short weeks before that um powerful, powerful, powerful hurricane hit the island. So um, that was not the topic of the show is, you know, we were just going to be talking to Maggie about how to, um, you know, stay in a running groove uh, during a family move, but it ended up being a, a much bigger um, emotional story than that. So here's Maggie talking. We're really lucky because a lot of the uh, people from other countries, it took forever to get out. And, you know, the United States Air Force came in with C-130s and they were great with the kids mm. and kids just think it's been one big adventure. Oh my so gosh. Wow. Yeah. Been, yeah. Cause, cause your kids tell, tell folks how old your kids are. Yeah. So I have a, a three-year-old, a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I guess so in some ways that's, that's really a blessing because they don't have an appreciation for how, how bad it really is. Right. They don't. And you know, they've always, you know, I think been, Uh, pretty selfless kids and they don't ask for a lot of stuff that's never been our thing is stuff and even um, in Puerto Rico this little girl came up to my daughter and gave her her teddy bear Mm. and I looked at this little girl and I knew she didn't have much either and you know I've the blessing for all of this and the silver lining is that my kids you know my son said he wants to be an army officer now after seeing how the army handled the evacuation and how great they were with everyone. My daughter wants to be a doctor, mm. which she's always said, but especially seeing the doctors um, treating people, you know, they saw a lot of injured people and um, people on the tarmac who had 
some people got run over by other people trying to oh. get to the planes and you know there's there's a bit of chaos and um my kids stayed really calm so i think that's somewhere back in their subconscious you know and now they want to help which is great mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely wow Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. So, um, so you're now in Chicago and your husband, Ryan, he showed up, was it yesterday? He just got in last night. Um, he stayed until the very end. He made sure all of the students, there were 500 students on the campus, uh, and there were 86 pets and he made sure, um, the students and the pets got off the Island and to safety. They took a a boat to St. Kitts and then they took a flight last night to Chicago. So they're all here. Mm-hmm. Everyone's accounted for. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so wonderful. I was reading on your Facebook page how he waited for the women and children to evacuate. And I mean, you hear words like women and children first, and you think it's like from a, you know, I don't know, 1940s black and white film. And and to think that, you know, that actually is really what some people do in, in uh, you know, um, a tragedy such as this or, you know, a... And so, I don't know, it just kind of um, gave me pause and, and it made me feel good about society as it is in the 21st century that that type of attitude still exists. Yeah, it was amazing. I, I saw a few people that, you know, brings out, I think, your true character. But for the most part, I saw 95% of people being heroes, helping each other, you know, passing water around, um, pooling all of their resources and their food and everyone was great. And, you know, it was like Titanic, like women and children first, but you looked at these kids and they really needed to be with their moms. And Mm -hmm. I know most of our audience is moms Mm -hmm. and there, I don't know. I mean, you know, of course dads are super important, but there was something really comforting about uh, being on that plane with women and we all took care of each other's kids. I mean, I only knew these people for like, you know, a week and at the end, we're saying, I love you. And we're disciplining each other's kids and we're <laughs> hugging each other's kids. And it, it's just everything good about humanity that I saw during all of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, um, maybe it seems a little, is it a little crass for us to um, ask about um, your um you're like, I don't know, finding your groove before the move that um, if we can kind of dial back from the from the um, destruction and devastation that you've seen. Let's I was struck when you wrote on our website about um, how you really lost your groove from running before the move and that, you know, it was, it was thinking about, oh, well, what will we do? Where will we move? How should I move my family to a Caribbean island? You know, that sort of thing that um, you know, and there you were, you know, getting rid of your flock of backyard chickens and, you know, <laughs> selling. So you had what seemed like you had a continual garage sale day after day after day. Oh, um, gosh, yeah. yeah. So um, talk to us about how the disruptive nature of a move isn't just the packing boxes and getting unpacking boxes and getting settled part. Yeah, for me, it was mental. And I'm one of those people that if I go out and run, you know, for two hours, all I do is think about what other things I should actually be doing. Like I just make this mental list for the first couple of miles about you should be doing laundry. You should, you know, be doing your work. You should, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, be researching schools in St. Martin where the kids Mm -hmm. are going to go. You should be packing. You should be hosting a garage sale. So that just getting over that mental block and realizing that after the runs, I actually felt calmer and it helped with my stress. 
Otherwise, I'd just be sitting at my computer for two hours stressing. Mm -hmm. So why not go run? And so what I did was I signed up for a bunch of half marathons. And then that made me like, you know, you want to be out there walking while the people are cheering you on because I hate, you know, like people are watching, they're holding signs like, you're so amazing. And you're walking. So you're like, all right, I got to train. And um, and so I did like three half marathons since April during this whole process wow. just to keep me like focused on running uh-huh. um, because it's like you just feel better after a run. Everything mm-hmm. is calmer. Everything is clearer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is so um, and I did have some really great points before Irma um, <laughs> about how I was finding my groove in St. Martin. And <laughs> I had three really great bullet points and I can still share them for any other expats. <laughs> they just really completely come to fruition. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, this might be a little bit premature, but as you're staring down another move, um, and hopefully this one will be a little bit more permanent, um, what steps are you going to take to get back into a running routine? I don't know if you've had a chance to give it any thought. Well, you know, I'm I'm just being really patient with myself. Like yesterday, well, you know, we're staying at these hotels. They're really nice. I'm wearing like a, you know, Hard Rock Cafe shirt that somebody in Puerto Rico gave me. I'm wearing the same pants I wore since last Tuesday, and I've been hand-washing them in the sink. Um, You know, I've got big circles under my eyes. I haven't slept. Uh, I'm just trying to focus on the kids, and then hearing about my cat really sent me into a tailspin Mm -hmm. because I had had him for 12 years, um, and I wasn't Mm -hmm. with him, and there's all the guilt of, like, you know, survivor guilt, I guess. Like, I had him in my hands on the tarmac, and then the Air Force said, no pets on the plane, I, so I handed him back to a student that was going back to AUC with all of our bags that we were told we couldn't bring. And there was that moment where I was like, I should have just kept him. And I got on the plane and I saw a bunch of tourists with their little dogs. And I was so <laughs> upset, mm-hmm. you know, but I was like, he'll be fine. He, he'll be fine. And, you know, he wasn't. So, um, you know, just kind of uh, working through all of that. And people are saying, do you want to talk to a counselor? And I'm like, I just want to go for a run. Can somebody go buy me some running shoes? Because <laughs> that's my therapy. And yeah. I, there's all these women at the hotel who look fabulous. And this morning I saw a group of them with their running gear on. And, you know, I'm just standing there in my flip-flops and my week old pants and my Hard Rock Cafe shirt. Like, I just, I'll go for a run in my flip-flops. <laughs> I just need to get that, have that feeling and that sense of freedom This clip comes from episode 290, Striving for Big Goals, and got a variety of mother runners talking about, um, well, big goals, you know, (laughs) um, big races or, um, you know, training goals that they have. And so this was um, Kate, who's like me, a mother of boy-girl twins, and it's um, just felt that um, she's had loads of wisdom, of racing and training wisdom, and I just um, love it when to hear that from you know, just our quote unquote regular mother runners. There's just each of you I know just is a repository with great advice. And I love it when we can share it, whether it's online or on the podcast. So here's Kate talking. So in your email, you wrote, while there were some hard moments, my training was so rewarding and I would love to inspire other moms to take on big endurance goals. So what encouragement and advice do you give for women who are, you know, listening to talk and, and, but yet feeling nervous about the goal that they're eyeing? Yeah, it's so interesting because I think I think when it comes to probably both career and sports to a certain extent, um, you know, we have this tendency after babies come to 
they're our number one priority. And I think that that's, that's great. Um, and that works until it doesn't. And so I think it's really more about figuring out, you know, what relationship, you know, how, how am I going to enable me to be my best self when I am around my children? Um, and so like for me, Mm. I think I learned pretty early on in that first year that I actually do need some planned time away from them and, and to myself so that when I am with them, mm-hmm. I can kind of show up and be a little bit more engaged as opposed to kind of like on my cell phone or, <laughs> you know, distracting myself in some way. Mm-hmm. So obviously it's, it's super mm-hmm. individual in terms of, of what you want to take on. But I, I think that we could probably, mm-hmm. you know, lean on others a little bit more than we think we can um, in general. Um, be, be it our partner or babysitters or extended family. Um, but I find in general, you know, we're a little bit nervous about taking people up on their offers to help us out. Um, yeah. And so I think I would just encourage, you know, if, if the goal or whatever it is, is really important to you. Um, and you know, you think that like for me, training for Ironman just kind of, it's made me feel like I could do a lot more than I ever thought I could do. And um, that's something that I want to teach my kids. Right. So for me, it was as much as like I was away from them on Saturdays a little bit more than I would have liked to over a six month period. Um, in hindsight, it was totally worth it. Right. Because now they have a mom who's a lot more empowered than the person I was before this experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so do you think, do you think you have another, are you one and done with Ironman or you think oh, there's I'm another one? I'm itching to sign up for another one. I think, um, I, I will say, <laughs> I, I think that I timed this first one quite well. Um, because like you said, my kids were sort of around the two year old mark when, when I did it. And what was great about that is that they were, they sort of weren't aware enough to, to miss me <laughs> on those Saturdays. And now that they're a little bit mm-hmm. older, I think that you know, I would miss them and they would miss me a little bit more if I was out of pocket for an entire day, let's say, um, in addition to working during the week. So, um, I, I think that it's more about figuring out, you know, when is the timing right and how can I make my training a little bit more efficient so that, you know, maybe I'm not missing out on like weekend Mm -hmm. activities as much. Um, so, so yes, I want to do another one, but I think it's about figuring out when, when is the timing best given my family and everyone's sort of needs. Right, right. But I think, you know, that's awesome. the great thing about running, right? It's so multi-sport and, and triathlon, obviously, just because there are three disciplines, it requires a lot more planning and, you know, you have to actually like commute to the pool. And for me, you know, in order to do mm-hmm. a long bike ride, I have to ride outside of New York City and over the GW Bridge and then into New Jersey. And that, all of that mm-hmm. just takes a lot right. more time. So um, we're yeah. running, you know, you kind of like pop out your front door and, and for the most part, you can you can get a good workout in. And so I think for now I'm focusing a lot more on running again, which um, has been really good for me. And I think it's a, it's a good way for me to still get a lot of those positive feelings um, and connections that I Mm -hmm. have gained in the past through endurance sports, but, you know, stay a little bit in better balance when it comes to family stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome. Well, Kate, thanks so much for um, reaching out to us and for being a guest on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Going a little further back in time, this is from episode 243, Motivational Running Advice and Then Some. So this one, I was joined by two co-hosts, uh, Dear Dimity and Amanda Loudon, and it was about how just showing up to have some runs can become magical and also beauty and suffering. So here you go. 
Um, one thing I've been thinking about is this story I heard on NPR and it, um, your comment, Dim, about happiness reminded me of it because um, I'm not even remembering who the guest was, which show it was on NPR, but it was about the importance of being present as a route to happiness. And it was some study that um, had people just, they would like ping them and be like, what are you doing right now? And it showed that when people were actually paying attention and being present in the activity that they were doing, their level of happiness, they reported their level of happiness as being higher. So I've been trying to do that more in my runs. And so, you know, even as the wind is buttressing me or the rain's coming sideways at me, it's like, okay, right now I'm out here. I'm, you know, I feel alive. I can feel my body. I can feel it working. And, you know, I'm listening to some podcasts that I'm really enjoying or Molly and I are laughing over something and just experiencing it as it happens rather than thinking, oh, I can't wait till I can get home and shower and get out of these wet clothes. And um, just... Um, well, there's a lot of truth in that for sure. For yeah, sure. yeah. And there's even beauty in a little bit of suffering. Not that any of us are, you know, mm-hmm. true suffering, but but even you know when when you're having a bad run, there there's some beauty to be found in that, and mm-hmm. and some value in it. And um, you know, you can you can come back to it and and maybe reflect on it and reflect on what you got out of it. So mm-hmm. absolutely, mm-hmm. We, call those, we call those mental strength runs, building mental muscle, right? right. I mean, that's right. Workout, especially if it does have you know, elements of speed or hills or whatever, and you finish it there, there, that right there, like that alone is, is worth the price of admission. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, so let's so stop I, talking. I, so like high plane joy, you know, um, and let's just talk about some specific stuff. So, I mean, one of the things that I think is so, is just a really good guiding principle that Gretchen talks about. Um, Coach MK talks about. Gretchen, in, um, we, you know, well, we and Gretchen Rubin, we're tight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what Gretchen talks about and Coach MK and, and, and Amanda does too. She just hasn't said it out loud. But I mean, all of our plans in the Train Like a Mother Club, you don't get two days off in a row. Don't take more than two days off in a row. You know, if you need to have two days off because of life, schedule, travel, sickness, whatever, unless you are sick, of course, I mean, that that's the big caveat, you know, get out there on that third day or your momentum is going to come to a screeching halt. Don't you think? Oh, so, I mean, you, truth, hashtag truth. That, that is, <laughs> I mean, that, that is seriously been my guiding principle pretty much the entire time I've been an exerciser because I, I, I wrote about this in, um, run like a mother, how I, you know, just still don't even still sometimes don't even see myself as a true exerciser because I was such a, I didn't exercise as a kid. And so when I started exercising, I just was like, if I take two days, more than one day off, you know, that's it. I'm going to slip back into my inertia role. And I just was convinced that, you know, sitting on the couch one day begets sitting on the couch another day. Right, right. And, um, you know, but because I think there, there is the converse of that is utterly completely true which is that momentum begets momentum and energy and that you know you you have a good run or you just feel you remember how you feel at the end of it and the next day you want to go after that same feeling you might find it you might not but you still want to chase after it yeah for sure yeah i mean do you you have a little do you have little rules that govern your your own running amanda like that um you know i i definitely you know, well, I'm a big believer in the one solid rest day, but, but that's it. Yep. Again, like that's it. I get my, my one solid rest day the rest of the week. There's something going on, you know, even if it's not, um, if it's not running, it's cross training or it's strength training or it's whatever. Um, because yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, 
I need to continue the motion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big three, two girl. I like three days on one day off, two days on one day off. Okay. Oh, okay. That. Like that, yeah. That's a good, um, I mean, that's that when I'm on, like when I'm on my own autopilot and not on a training plan, that's, that, that seems to work well for me. I um, sort of want to draw, draw, draw a diagram and it's like a little dance thing. It's like the Dimity Hustle. Three, yeah. one, two, one. Three, one, one two, two, one. one yeah. off. And Ryan Reynolds can like, you know, or Ryan Gosling can lead us in it like in La La Land or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this next clip comes from episode 246, Running and Alcohol, Do They Mix? And I consider this sort of a PSA of sorts, a public service announcement. It is um, Natalie, a mother runner of four from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, talking about how she knew she had a drinking problem and what her mantra became. And we got a lot of feedback about this episode. And so I just thought it was an important reminder to put out into the community. And I point out um, the Eau Claire thing because we might have an announcement um, involving Eau Claire, Wisconsin in the next uh, weeks or months. So stay tuned and uh, have a listen. Mm. Um, but of course I didn't want to tell anybody that because then they might think I have a drinking problem. And it's really curious to me that, you know, when we have a problem with alcohol, whether it's just heavy drinking or a consequence from, you know, one night of over drinking and maybe we get pulled over for a DUI, but it's not, you know, all the time that we have a problem or if we are actually alcoholic, that, we have no problem doing silly things in front of each other. We have no problem singing that funny karaoke song and lifting up our shirt or, you know, I mean, doing whatever, you know, people are doing. But to have to admit that I might have a problem and actually seek help for that, well, that's embarrassing. Mm. You know, mm. I can't let people know that, that I need help. And I'm a professional helper. Um, I, I practiced in a helping profession for many years of my life. And so... Um, you know, if self-knowledge was enough, if I just had the knowledge about this disease and could have prevented it, that'd be great. But it's kind of like mm -hmm. telling a gynecologist, you know, a physician with all these great years of training and all of the, the medical knowledge that because of that, you will never develop ovarian or breast cancer. You know, mm -hmm. self-knowledge does not win the battle of addiction. Um, mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of times the alcoholic is the last one to know that things have gotten so horribly bad. So um, one thing I decided first off in recovery, once I sort of started, came to my senses and I was getting help, I had somebody tell me, I have decided I am here to save my ass, not my face. And those mm, words have stuck good. with me. And now, you know, I... I am an open book about my experience. Um, I am an open book about my recovery because I want people to know. In part particular, I want women to know. I want moms mm -hmm. to know and wives and sisters and doctors and lawyers and counselors and teachers, all of us women that are so successful in all these other areas of our life. And why can't I control this one thing? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it comes down to we have our, our youngest son actually has a tree nut allergy. So, for instance, he is very, very allergic to cashews and he has a very predictable allergic response. When he has a cashew, he's going to get sneezy and his eyes are going to water and he's going to cough and he's going to break out in a rash. And if we don't intervene in enough time, he will stop breathing and mm -hmm. he could die from that. So we are very careful about helping him navigate um, that world to the best that we can. But I can tell you, if he is 
um, abstaining from cashews for 20 years and he has a cashew when he's 30, he's still going to have that same response. Mm -hmm. And so that's what it's like to be an alcoholic is that once you have manifested that disease where you can no longer control um, the amount of alcohol that you take or predict what's going to happen once you do start drinking, you can't ever go back to being a normal drinker. And that's the illusion that keeps people stuck and sick. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you know, ends a lot of lives. Yeah, yeah. So you've been sober for a a while now, right? Several years? I have been sober for a little over six years. And for me, that begins every day. You know, you can't bank sobriety. It's the decisions that you make every day. And before I even open my eyes in the morning, you know, I start with some prayer and meditation. And I just, you know, I, I just say thank you. Thank you for this sober life. And let me... Let me be open to helping the next person in, you know, whether it's through my running or through my social interactions or through my work, through my family. I want women in particular to know that I'm a resource. I'm a safe place. And if I don't have the answer, you know, I'll at least be by your side and we will try to figure it out. That's awesome. And the only one that can make that change is you, right? Nobody can make it for you. Absolutely. You know, and I really don't have an opinion on other people's drinking per se. I really don't. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, the only person that I really have an opinion on uh, drinking wise is me because even the women that maybe I try to share my story with, and I I try to steer in a a direction of help, if they aren't willing or don't have a desire to make those changes, you know, it's not going to happen. And so, um, you know, we kind of have to take people where they're at. And I think that's the frustrating thing for family members and friends is that when you see someone who's drinking is becoming harmful, you don't understand. Why would you do this to yourself? Why would you do this to your kids? Don't you see how you're hurting us? And the problem is, Mm -hmm. you know, the part of our body that is affected in the, the disease of alcoholism and addiction is our brain. And our brain is a part of our body. It's just like every other organ and system, you know, and it happens to be the place where judgment Um, is formed and where our thoughts Mm. and our actions stem from. So when my brain is disrupted through a chemical disruption um, of addiction, I am not going to have good judgment. My behaviors and actions Mm. are going to be harmful to myself and other people if I'm not able to have good judgment. So it, it um, it, it is a very destructive disease, but I have to say there is hope there is a, a solution. There are multiple solutions. And I'm super excited that our Surgeon General um, has just come out with the first ever report on alcohol, drugs, and health. Um, and it's, it's urgently sort of raising awareness about addiction as a disease and its mm-hmm. treatment and prevention. And so we're looking at it just like we would look at heart disease or diabetes or other forms of cancer. Mm-hmm. We're going even further back in time to episode 213. It is Muslim women runners. And the guest, I had two guests, um, both of them Muslimas. The first one, the one you're going to hear on this clip is Monica Wallace, who is one of the co-founders of the group Muslimas on the Run. And she talks about upholding a positive attitude amongst a sisterhood. And um, I just love, uh, we're not going to get together and talk about our differences. We're going to get together and bond on what makes us the same. I just thought it was a really great message for our times, no matter um, what God you may or may not worship. 
So we, you know, that's kind of, that, that was our goal when we, we stated out that we, we were not going to get together and talk about, you know, our differences. We're going to mm-hmm. get together and sort of bond on what makes us the same. That's right. awesome. That's awesome. And you mentioned um, cultural taboos in that. And, and earlier you had mentioned um, about running in mixed gender crowds. So yes. could, could you kind of I, I, um, could you kind of talk about some of those things that, sure. um, you know, I think there are there are certain concerns for Muslim women that, you know, just your run in the mill Protestant white chick doesn't encounter when she, you know, thinks right. about a race she's going to run or what she's going to wear when she heads out the door. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's. Um, because of the multicultural dimension there and, and the, you know, the way Islam, you know, Islam is a a pretty diverse, you know, in its practice Mm -hmm. in in that you have just this Christianity, you may have people that are, you know, very conservative in their thought and their approach, and then people that are not as conservative. So for example, um, you know, let's just take the hijab or the Mm -hmm. dress. Mm -hmm. While there are clearly guidelines on what the hijab means or what the hijab should do in terms of its purpose, um, the way that's implemented could change um, just because you have people who, you know, are very conservative, you know, they, they want to wear the headscarf in addition to a long abaya, which is sort of an outer covering um, that comes, let's say, down to the ankles, where someone else may choose to wear, you know, a shirt that comes to her knees. Someone else may choose a shirt that just comes to their waist. Mm -hmm. Someone else may decide that I'm not going to adopt hijab. I'm Mm -hmm. still Muslim. I still have the same, you know, uh, uh, beliefs, but I don't adopt the hijab. And so being a Muslim woman could look five, ten different ways when it comes mm-hmm. to people hitting the pavement. Um, so and in, so that's one aspect. The other aspect, as you pointed out, um, mixed gender events. You know, a lot of Muslim women who have adopted a very conservative um, approach to how they interact with the general public um, may not feel comfortable in a, a, a gathering where, you know, they're running, you know, they're, you know, right neck and neck or hand in hand or not hand in hand, but, you know, mm-hmm. elbow with, mm-hmm. uh, with men. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you know, perfectly fine, but everyone doesn't have that same um, sort of approach. And then when you talk about cultural taboos, if, you know, if you're from an area where that is, you know, never done in some societies, some um, Muslim societies, the men and women have their own facilities. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go to, I uh, traveled to the UAE, United mm-hmm. Arab Emirates, and their facilities for for women are just awesome. You know, for every, you know, lifetime fitness, you know, you have a woman's side, you have a men's side. So you, I can abandon my dress because there are only other women around. Mm. I can feel comfortable. I can run on the treadmill. I can do head flips. But in our society, <laughs> you don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have that separation. So I may not feel comfortable coming from an area where I can kind of be totally free and fancy. And then now I have to worry about, you know, being in a crowd with men and not feeling as comfortable because I'm, I'm you know, I've adopted a more modest way of living. All right. We're at episode 247, working non-traditional hours and running. Definitely one of my favorite episodes of the last 100 because it integrated several um, mother runners, a dairy farmer. That was uh, Lisa, who I um, you may recall, I ended up finishing the Twin Cities Marathon with, ran um, about the last mile with her. Um, also an ER nurse. And then um, I know there was, oh, there was a midwife. And then also Tamara Keith, who is NPR's White House correspondent and co-host of 
NPR Politics podcast. So come on, we got like, uh, you know, we got a celeb on here, got to get her into it. And um, this is Tamara talking about how uh, running is critical to her mental and professional health. Um, And I have to say that um, I simply had to play this snippet because hearing what Tamara says really basically made my year. So here you go. But then like, how do you like, do you like, like give a nod to the secret service and be like, Hey guys, I'll be back in 45 minutes. Yeah. Well, I've got a badge. So like, basically I have to run with my badge because I couldn't get back in without the badge. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very important badge. I know. So do you, do you wear it? Does it flap around your neck while you're running? Like we need Uh, to know the logistics of all this. My tights, most of my tights, running tights have like a pocket. Um, you know, okay. like those side pockets that are supposed to be for your phone, right. presumably, but it's yeah. you know, it's perfectly sized for a press pass. Oh my gosh, we love Saucony Bullet Capris, and they yes. have really big the um, pockets. They have pockets on the thighs, yes. And so, so very nice, very nice. Okay, a new use for them, so it's not just for iPhones and uh, you know hotel room keys and things like it's that. It's for badges and lanyards. I just, yeah. Yes, I just figured I could get uh, an apple from the hotel breakfast buffet in those pockets too. So that <laughs> oh my was. Gosh. That was pretty exciting. <laughs> um, okay, so so Tam, as I know your coworkers call you, uh, yes. uh, I've been I've been wanting to have you on the podcast since last summer when you mentioned on the NPR Politics podcast that you run, and you were covering the Hillary Clinton campaign during the presidential election. And I mean, talk about your waking hours not being your own. How were you ever able to plan your workouts, or was it just like you'd do it on the fly, like you'd land in? Des Moines and just head out. It was sort of catch as catch can. Uh, When Mm -hmm. I was traveling with the Clinton campaign, she came home a lot. So she Mm -hmm. would go uh, to her house in Chappaqua and the press Mm -hmm. all would stay at um, a hotel in White Plains, New York. Mm -hmm. And there is a pretty lovely trail in White Plains, and so, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess there's trails everywhere, but it's like a, a trail that runs along the freeway, but it's wooded and there were bridge, there were tunnels with cool graffiti. And so <laughs> I, I would just get up and go running. Um, the, the one nice thing about her campaign is that she tended not to start too, too early. So, okay. you know, I could get a good solid five hours of sleep, which sounds terrible, <laughs> oh uh, and still be able to go for a run. Um, uh-huh. So generally speaking, I I don't know. I felt like on the days that I could bring myself to get up and go for a run, I was happier for it. Um, mm-hmm. But it right. was hard when you're right. when you're filing until two in the morning. It's really really hard to set the alarm for seven. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. right. But I never regretted other... it when I did. Oh right. yeah, it's the it's the runs reporters? you don't take that you regret. Yeah. 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 Were there other reporters in in your group who would who also ran, or were you kind of solo? I always ran solo, which I know is not the safest choice I've ever made. Um, but but I know that there are other reporters who run, or there were other reporters in the group who were runners, and we would sort of compare our runs sometimes. But like actually coordinating exactly when we would go is really hard, right? Because you know you're also like in the middle of a run, pausing to forward a tweet onto your boss to to like say hey maybe we should be covering this or you i mean you're not ever really off ever Mm -hmm. so you get a lot of alerts then on your phone when you're running (laughs) yes 
oh, that's such a drag because oh, it drives me crazy. Our um, our library out here, when you get a book in, like you can put books on hold, and then when it so when it comes in, it sends you a text. That's so you can have it turned off. I swear, it only texts me when I'm on run. So I like <laughs> stop thinking it's my family. I'm like, oh, who cares if that graphic novel's in? Like I got places to be. <laughs> Silly so library. Yeah, I know. So your alerts are a little more important than mine are. So <laughs> only sometimes are they more important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, so when, but when we, when you were out on the road, truly not, not near the White Plains airport, were you, uh, going, would you set out on runs in the towns you were in or did you mainly stick to the hotel treadmill or how'd you work that? I am not a treadmill person. Um, I, I find treadmills to be excruciating. Um, so Mm -hmm. I tried running in town whenever I could, uh, you know, Des Moines has a lovely lake, um, mm-hmm. that you can run to from downtown Des Moines. Um, I recommend it highly. Uh, Columbus, nice. Ohio also has a really lovely lake. I mean, I like in, in swing states, I know some good runs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, um, so did, it, but also, so all the travel, all the crazy hours, did it totally like wreck your nutrition to be traveling around? I mean, we're eating a lot of, uh, you know, fried butter and, and pizza and, and all those things you hear about on the campaign trail. Yes. Well, my, my weakness is candy, which is, mm-hmm. um, like, like Sour Patch Kids, those mm-hmm. in that genre of candy. Okay. Um, and the, the problem is that it's really easy to just like grab a bag and then eat the whole thing and, right. and then regret it or not. I mean, like, I, <laughs> you know, I have no regrets about the Sour Patch Kids I ate on election night. So, yeah. okay. So last question and the most important one, um, when vocalness goes on tour, will, <laughs> will, will y'all be bringing along your personal trainer so that you can stay in shape? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent idea. Excellent idea. When Vocalness does go on tour, several of us go on runs, though never together. Oh, and, oh you didn't oh. wait. So so you and Danielle and... Yep. All, and, the, you... and, and Sam Sanders, who is sadly yeah, yeah. leaving us, he's a runner too. So we did a show in Chicago and I was out running and, and then it, I passed Sam and I'm like, hey, Sam, there you are. <laughs> and then I was like, actually, I would like to go back into my zone. I will see you later. Oh no! So you guys don't don't run together because you sent that one picture and you all are doing a I you were doing a plank at least with Asma Khalid and two other people that I didn't know who they were. Yeah, but. Scott Detro and Elsa Chang. Um, okay. That I, that I Sam would not participate in my plank. That was the first inaugural <laughs> plank of the nice. uh, NPR Politics right? Squad. Uh, no one has done one with me since. This final clip of this episode is a sentimental favorite for me. It comes from episode 252, How to Get Your Kid, Kids, Involved in Running. Uh, I had to co-host Amanda Loudon um, and one of her pals, uh, who is an expert and a cross-country coach, and then also had Molly's middle daughter, Lucy, as a guest. And then the final guest on that show was none other than my son, John. And um, he had a strong case of the giggles. Um, But also hear how he thinks acting in a school play is tougher than cross-country running. And gosh, I wish we... I wish I felt that way when I was out running. So uh, here is my um, beloved son, John. So talk about how you felt about having to juggle more than one activity. Well, it's it's a bit um, complicated when you have all these things to keep track of. Like in Macbeth, we had to memorize lines. And in cross country, you're just running. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You just pour it out. Mm-hmm. Pour it on. Yeah. I'd say that Macbeth was more tiring than running. Oh, that's intriguing. How come? Because you had to do way more stuff and yeah, you were practicing all these things like over and over again and the stage lights mm-hmm. were really hot and <laughs> so and when you're running john what does it feel like to you because i would love to be as fast and as graceful of a runner as you are because <laughs> i'm not and that's making you laugh i don't know why this question is making you laugh <laughs> <laughs> um, well i really like running because it's it gives you a chance to like get away from other things oh and it's like uh like one of the reasons you like running is for like nature Mm -hmm. and i like being able to go out and run a lot Mm -hmm. and be a part of nature Uh uh-huh even when you're on the track do you get to feel like you're in nature when you're on the track yeah because there's there's even though some grass is fake Uh uh-huh (laughs) it's still green yeah (laughs) so and what do you tell yourself when you're racing because uh you know i like to encourage you to push yourself in a race what do you how do you push and how do you what do you tell yourself when it gets tough well uh sometimes when i run my legs start to numb up and it feels like i'm not running anymore Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like i'm paralyzed from the neck down and Mm -hmm. i can't really feel it Mm -hmm. and it gets really weird Mm -hmm. does it freak you out a little bit yeah it does and Sometimes when I get really tired at the end of a race, uh, when I have the encouragement of like everyone else on the sidelines cheering me on, it's it's more fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and what do you tell yourself to keep pushing when that numbness sets in? That I can't feel my body anymore, so I don't feel the pain anymore. <laughs> Not that running is painful. <laughs> you don't think running's painful? I don't. How do you think when it gets tough, what, what oh. words come to your head? Uh... Because hmm. sometimes I use, I like to use the word challenging instead yeah, of painful. Yeah, challenging. You like that word? Mm-hmm. You like that word? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, anything else, like advice, maybe to moms who are listening, parents who are listening? What do you think? Well, 11-year-olds and moms don't have a lot in common. <laughs> but um, when you reach the end, uh, you're doing it for the family. You're doing it for the family. <laughs> All right. Well, good to know, John. Good to know. So, and then we have running in common. Is that what you're saying too? Yeah. Yeah. So then we have something to talk about, John. (laughs) (laughs) All right, bud. Well, thanks for joining me. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, that is it for this first best of show. Um, I will admit that we're now about to record the second best of show. So (laughs) that episode will air a week from now. So, As much as I'd love to take more suggestions, um, voting is closed. Ballots have all been counted and accepted. So, um, but thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed rehearing some moments. I hope a couple of those were your favorites. And and just really for supporting another Mother Runner podcast. It just means the world to Dimity and me, how much you all enjoy the show, how much you um, think of us as your best running friends. I love it when I meet people. Um, at expos or at airports or whatever. And you all say things like, oh, you're my best running friend and you don't even know me. Um, so it just um, 
tickles me to death every time I hear that. So thank you very much for your support. Please tell your friends and colleagues and family members about the Another Mother Runner podcast. We're trying to really boost the number of people listening. So thank you very much. Um, Many happy miles to you. And I want to dedicate this show to a friend of Timothy and mine's, Andrew Tillen, who unexpectedly passed away last week. And um, I used to work with Andrew at a magazine called City Sports in San Francisco in what seems like another lifetime ago. And Andrew is one of the people who really pushed me to be an athlete and to find my inner badass mother runner, even though I wasn't a mother at that point. He just really, um, I think, saw me for the strong, dedicated person um, that he thinks I am and that I now know I am. And um, I remember I was doing my one and only century ride, which means a hundred mile ride. And uh, oh my goodness, Andrew gave me such grief on that Friday before that. And he was saying to all of our coworkers, oh, you know what the SAG wagon stands for? And SAG is that um, vehicle kind of that follows up the the back of the Packers. He was like, it stands for Sarah's a goner. (laughs) I was like, I was not going to be picked up by that wagon or whatever vehicle it was. So um, Andrew, um, wherever you are out there, uh, thank you for pushing me to be the athlete that I am. And I love you so much. 